Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, we praise you. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are our God. In the midst of storms, you're by our side. God, I pray that in those quiet moments we turn to you, that we would seek you. God, strengthen us. Give us wisdom. God, I pray that every opportunity that comes our way, that we'd leverage that for eternity. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the wonderful way you've created. God, I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, that God, we'd hear whatever it is you'd have us hear. We give you the praise. We give you the glory with all we say and do. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. You know, years ago, you'd see someone and you'd say, Hey, how are you doing? And the typical response was, Fine. I'm doing fine. But I think in our contemporary culture today that that response doesn't cut it anymore. The fact is, someone goes, Hey, how are you doing? The typical response is not, Fine. Today it's, I'm busy, 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 busy. I'm maxed out. I'm running fast and I'm running hard. And so it's kind of the mantra of the day is, I'm just busy. Just busy. And I think we have kind of morphed into this mock speed existence. Because somewhere along the way, we all bought in to the idea that busyness is kind of cool. That busyness is kind of a badge you wear with honor. And so what we think we're saying when we say, I'm busy, is this. I think I'm saying, I'm important. I matter. I'm somebody. Pay attention. And that kind of mock speed mentality, I believe, has taken its toll on us. I love art, and uh, Salvador Dali has a painting that's called Persistence of Memory. And uh, you might recognize this, this piece. It's uh, one that um, I think you've seen. And how many of you have seen that before? Do you know that when he painted that, he was trying to illustrate how humanity has squandered a God-given gift of a thing called time. And in a real sense, if you think about it, time is the most precious commodity that we all have. You can't buy more of it. When you use it, it's gone. And in a real way, if you were to think about life, life is X amount of time. And we don't know what that is. This series, Simplicity, we've been looking at how we are created, how God created us to live a certain kind of life, and we're talking about how to get off that treadmill in our lives and to simplify. You know, just by simplifying, we can change things. Last week, we did a little bit of diagnostic work. We talked about burnout. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to uh, go online and uh, pull the message down, because 
Today, what I want to do is kind of switch and look at the strategies for battling a thing called busyness. How do we reduce the, this mock speed that, that we're running at? You know, Jesus, he had uh, courtside seats to a great cat fight. You find it in the, the New Testament. And Jesus is watching a, a couple of sisters that are battling a nemesis, a thing called busyness. These two sisters, Scripture says this, Luke 10, verses 38 and 42, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village. Now, that village is Bethany. It's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And you should understand that this is about six months before Jesus would give himself up and die on a cross for, for your sins and mine. And so it says, There was a woman named Martha who opened her home to him. Now, I want you to think Martha Stewart, okay? Because it, it really does fit. really does fit. It says, she had a sister called Mary. Now, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary and Martha, their, brother, their sisters. And they had a brother who happened to be one of Jesus' closest friends called Lazarus. Now, Lazarus, if, if you might remember the story... Ultimately, he dies, and Jesus brings him back from the dead, but that's another story for another day. It says, She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. In other words, she, she's kind of squirreled up with things. She's sidetracked. It says, She had all these things that she had to figure out. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that she had to make. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister, I love this, that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Spoken like a true sister. <laughs> or brother. <laughs> Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Lord answers, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I think if we're completely honest, a lot of us have Martha mania. We're programming, we're scheduling, we're activating I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I mean. We're doing all this stuff all the way into oblivion. We're doing these things. You look up mania in the, the dictionary. It says excitement manifested by a mental and physical hyperactivity. Disorganized, disorganization of behavior and an elevation of mood. That's Martha mania. I mean, how many Marthas do we have in the house? Come on, I know some guys, you need to get your hands up too. We're just, we're doing all this stuff. And it's amazing because when you buy into this mock speed mentality, one of the signs you're going to find in your life is you're going to be frustrated. I mean, can you sense Martha's frustration? She invites Jesus to her home. Jesus is teaching. 
and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. And and Martha is probably freaking out about all kinds of things, making sure everything's just so-so. She's preparing hors d'oeuvres. And, you know, again, she wanted kind of a Martha Stewart affair. She wanted everything perfect. But it doesn't turn out perfect. In fact, it never does. You ever notice that? You want things perfect, but, but, but they don't. They just don't work out. And so Scripture says that she came to him. In other words, Martha goes to Jesus, and it literally means that she interrupts him. He's teaching, and she barges into the conversation. She says, Jesus, this is totally unfair. Look, don't you care? Don't you care? And I love that because in a way, when we say we don't care, it's kind of a, a backhanded way of saying you don't care. You don't love me. You're not concerned. And so one of the first signs that you're on that treadmill is frustration, frustration. And you're going to find yourself frustrated. And so you kind of turn it on people and say, don't you care? Don't you love me? Don't you see what's going on? I mean, whenever I'm distracted, and I'll speak for me, when my priorities are out of order, I always have a measure of frustration in my life. Do You do too, right? I mean, it's just, it's just a fact. And then it kind of leads you to phase two, and that's victimization. You know, we, we, get, we get messed up, and we begin to see ourselves as victims in a situation. She goes to Jesus and says, Lord... Don't, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Now, the, the fact is, she's playing victim. She's moving at this continual speed. This Martha mania is kind of taking her over. And she takes her hands, puts them behind her back, like they're tied, and starts in. See if this sounds like anything you've ever said. Poor, pitiful me. I'm just doing all the work. Everybody's abandoned me. I'm making appetizers from scratch. Don't you see this, Jesus? I'm doing all this stuff. Look at the table and the decorations. You know, I've done it all. Mary is just sitting around. She's at your feet. She is lazy. She's not doing anything. She barges into the conversation. It starts with frustration. It leads to this victim mentality that ultimately it segues into exaggeration. You know, we all get frustrated. We all get wounded. Our our priorities get twisted. And they're not in order. And as a result, usually you begin to exaggerate things. And that's what Mary did. Mary says, Lord, don't, don't you care? Don't you care that that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, it wasn't exactly true. Mary had been helping. But many times when we're moving at that kind of a speed, things start not going right for us. And you find yourself exaggerating. And what I have figured out in life is when you're in that kind of a situation, it's kind of a dynamic duo. Where you find exaggeration, you'll also find blame. 
we're pretty good at it. You know, we love to blame people. We get distracted. We're running at this tremendous speed. You know, we got this Martha mania thing going on. And then we start blaming people. And we blame things. Well, it's because of my boss. You know, it's because of my job. You know, it's because of my kids. It's because of my spouse. It's because of you. You see, it's much easier to blame, complain, whine, than it is to face the music that when we're distracted, when our priorities get out of kilter, when we know we've kind of dissed God and we're not spending time with God the way we should, we're not listening to Him, it's easier to point a finger, isn't it? Easier to point a finger than to own the fact that, you know what, I'm wrong. I got my values all squirreled up. My priorities are out of order. You know, that, that whole thing of priorities and values is so important. In a couple of weeks, we're just going to dedicate a session to how do you get a handle on that stuff? How do you get a handle on priorities and values in, in your life? So we got Martha. Martha's kind of blaming sis. What did Jesus do? When she starts down this track, I mean, I'll be honest, if it had been me, I'd been like slam dunked her or, you know, got in her face or I'd have put her in her place probably. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't go off on her. He doesn't go, you're pathetic, Martha. No. You guys thought, it, thought that too. That's what you would have said, right? No, he doesn't do that. He shows grace. He shows her grace. Martha, Martha, you're worried. You're upset. And it's interesting because the word worried, it means to strangle. You know, when, when you're anxious, when you're overly concerned about something, it, it leads to upset. You know, upset uh, is where we get the word tumult, you know, tumultuous. In other words, when worry begins to strangle you, it leads to a tumultuous life. Things out of control. Things begin to spin, and they don't go the way that you had planned. goes on and says, the Lord answered, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary's chosen the better. And it will not be taken from her. Martha mania. Martha mania. Scripture says that Martha was distracted. And it's interesting because I think we lose a little bit in translation. In, in the Greek, it's an imperfect tense, which means not one time was she distracted. It means she keeps being distracted. You ever been there? You're distracted. You, you, you try and focus, but you're distracted. Well, over and over again, she's just distracted and I think we live in a day and age where we deal with this. I mean, we deal with being distracted all the time. I mean, most of us would say, if we're honest today, we'd say, you know what, I've done the Martha mania thing. I am moving at such a fast speed, I can't stay up. I've gone through those stages you talked about earlier. And you may be sitting there thinking, you know, I don't like the pace of my life right now. I can't even enjoy the moment because I'm so preoccupied about the future and all the stuff that I've got to do. 
I need help. And that's what I want to spend our time with today. Just talking about how do we take and, and morph the, this Martha mentality, the, this craziness, and become, let's just say, very merry. How do we get a handle on that? I mean, because I believe God wants us to get a handle on our priorities. God wants us to get a handle on our, our time management, on this mock speed pace. You know, God wants us to win the battle uh, against busyness, and he doesn't want you to be a casualty. And I believe God wants us to emerge victorious. So how do we do it? How do we do it? The first thing I want to suggest to you is you need to unplug. You need to unplug. You need to hit the pause button in your life. You need to unplug everything. Isn't that kind of strange? It gets quiet like that. It gets kind of freaky, doesn't it? Kind of strange. Because silence in our society, we said this last week, I think we're addicted to noise. I like what Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan says, experience teaches that silence terrifies people the most. And unfortunately, I think Dylan's right when he wrote that. You know, last week I talked about one of my favorite passages in scriptures, Psalms 46. Be still and know that I'm God. I'm exalted among the nations, exalted among the earth. If you want to slow your pace, you want to get a handle on the speed, you've got to unplug and sit at the feet of Jesus. Mary, Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. That phrase is only used one time in the New Testament. It literally means she was sitting, listening, and applying what Jesus said. Greek words, akuo. It, it's where we get the word acoustics. You absorb. The sound, you absorb what you hear. She's sitting at Jesus' feet and she's absorbing, applying. And friends, if you're going to get a handle on this hyperactivity, this overscheduling, if you're going to bring things in balance and find peace in your life, if you're going to have the kind of life that God intended for you to have, you have got to unplug and you've got to dial in to God and sit at God's feet. Every time you, you read in the New Testament about Mary of Bethany, you find her at the feet of Jesus. It's, it's kind of cool if you read through the New Testament because you'll find like here in Luke 10, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. John 11, her brothers just died, and you find her at the feet of Jesus again. And then John 12, you find her as she's pouring perfume on Jesus' feet and worshiping him. And I thought, I, th I was thinking about this this week. I hope when people describe me, and I hope when they describe you, that they say, you know what? They're people that are at the feet of Jesus. They have unplugged and they're dialing in to God. But friends, you got to unplug. You got to listen. 
I mean, how do you, how do you listen? Well, you've got to unplug, and it's in the quiet. It's spending time with God, spending time in God's Word. It's spending time in, in prayer, in meditation, and those are different. Meditations, God speak to me. Prayers, hey, here's what's going on with me. And being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, God begins to, to work. And it doesn't just happen. You've got to be intentional about it. You've got to make a commitment and say, you know what, I'm going to unplug and I'm going to listen to God. And I'll give you a little heads up that the evil one will not just sit back and go, okay, unplug and tune into God. Fine. No, he's going to fight you. He's going to fight you and he's going to try and work on you to get you so busy that you can't listen. That you get so busy, you don't know which way's up, little alone who, who to turn to. Because here's what the evil one knows. That if you begin to unplug and listen to God, I believe all heaven breaks loose in your life. And he's not going to allow that. He's going to keep you running. And so here's a suggestion, just getting real practical. You need to establish a consistent time that you're going to unplug every day. And listen to God. Take out your Palm Pilot, your calendar, your day runner, wherever it is you keep your schedule. If it's up here, then you need to physically put it in. And say, you know what? I'm going to unplug. And I'm going to listen to God at 7 a.m. Or noon. You know, God, I'm going to spend time with you at noon. I'll meet you and it's just you and me. You know, pick, pick your time. This is a great thing. You get to pick it. You know, it can be in the morning. It could be in the afternoon. It could be on your coffee break. It could be lunch. You get to choose. And you get to put it in. Pencil it in. Someone says, what are you doing at lunch? Got an appointment with God. You don't have to tell them that part if you don't want. But make an appointment. And what, what you need to do is pick a time when you're hitting on all cylinders. When, when you're fresh, when you're alive, when you're open, when you're capable of listening, and unplug from everything else, and I mean unplug. Shut the technology off, take the phone off the hook, whatever you need to do, and be still before God. Do you have that time? Or, or are you like most, and you say, well, we'll just see if it happens. The words of Dr. Phil, I want to say, how's that working for you? <laughs> if you don't establish a time, if you do not square it up on your calendar, it will not happen. It won't. Second thing is you need to establish a consistent place. A place where you can listen. It's your holy ground, so to speak. It may be in your den. It may be at your office. You know, it may be out in a park somewhere, a porch, whatever. You may have a couple places, but you've got to establish a place, and then you have to establish a consistent plan. See, a lot of people go, well, I'm going to get the time, and I'm going to get the place, and then we'll just see if it happens. See what happens. Well, friends, you need a plan. You need a plan in, in your life. You need to allow God to work with you, but the way God works is you need a plan. I mean, for instance, let's say you're new in your faith. 
what I know when you're new in your faith is you're going, well, how do you listen to God? You know, how do you talk to God? How do you pray? That, that stuff's a challenge when you're first starting. And I tell people, why don't you know, take and read a chapter out of the Bible and then just see what jumps at you. You know, take a passage like, like Psalms 139. It talks about how you were created. That it tells you who you are in Jesus Christ, how much you matter to God. And just read it every day for one week, you know, seven times. Just read the same thing. You know, Lord, you search me. You know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You, you discern my, my going out and my laying down. You know, before a word's even on my tongue, you know it completely. I mean, that's just the first four verses. That's, that's enough right there. You know, they, you read that and then just say, okay, God, what do you want to say to me? You know, how can this help me? Show me how to apply it. You know, just sit at the feet of God, akua, Apply. Let it change you. You know, if you, if you do that, if you're faithful to that, things begin to happen. They just do. If you mature in your walk, as you get more comfortable sitting at the feet of Jesus, you, you begin to sense the Holy Spirit guiding you. You know, sometimes I, I sense God's Spirit challenging me, challenging my direction or a decision I've made or how my priorities are out of whack or an action in my life, and God just kind of dials into me. You know, most of the, the major decisions that, I, that I've made in my life are God-driven. You know, I've never heard an audible voice, you know, hey, Damon, go into ministry. See that girl over there? Marry her. Start faith fellowship. Every one of those decisions started in the quiet. Shh. Shh. And God began stirring my spirit. God began opening my heart and my mind. God began challenging my, my present position in life. And God spoke through his word. And God spoke through a lot of other avenues in my life. Other people began to, to confirm things. But the bottom line, friends, you've got to establish a time, a place, and a plan. It doesn't just happen. You know, you read scripture, Jesus took time out. Numerous times he withdrew to a quiet place, to a lonely place, scripture says. And this is what I figure. I mean, usually he got down on his knees at the feet of his father. And he just poured his heart out and he listened. And I figure if that was important for Jesus... I really need to do it. I mean, I really need God's guidance. It's the way God works. You, you, you unplug and you dial into God. Most of us need to, to simplify. We need to simplify our lives. It's way too complex. And we, I think we wonder why we get distracted, why we feel like we're getting pulled in so many directions and we're moving at this incredible speed and we just need simplicity. You know, simplicity. If, you, if you're going to have that kind of simplicity in your life, if you're going to unplug shh, and dial into God, 
there's a couple of things I think we need to do. One is we need to undergo, you'll like this, liposuction. I mean, what, what's that mean? You know, the Bible says that Jesus is the great physician. And here's what I'm suggesting you do. I'm suggesting that you crawl up on the operating table with your calendar, with your Palm Pilot, your Day Runner, whatever your thing is. And as you're laying on that table, you just say, Lord, I have got some serious calendar fat in my life. And I want you to suck it out. I've OD'd on activities and options. I've programmed my life into cardiac arrest, and I do not know how to get a handle on it. I hear this often from people. You know, I'm not able to unplug. I am running so fast, I can't find silence. Simplicity seems like it's something far away and impossible. I'm just too busy. And I realize... I realize, God, that I can't be the spouse that you created me to be. I can't be the parent you created me to be. I can't be the Christian or the person that you created me to be because, see, I'm talking about getting radical. and saying, God, have your way with my time. Because when, when you do that liposuction, I think you ask God two questions while you're on the table. You say, how does my calendar square with your priorities for me? And the second thing is, God, show me very specifically what areas I need to suck out of my life and get rid of. And then you need to ask God to give you the wisdom and the strength to do it. A lot of people know what needs to go. They just won't do it. You know, a lot of us need to just stop some of the activities that are killing us. If you're ever going to be the person God created you to be. I mean, it's just, it's just that simple. When you take that step, when, when you unplug, you dial into God, when you get serious about the liposuction in your life, something happens here that only God can do. You know, when you, when you cut the fat out of your schedule and you apply simplicity... Get this, you begin to have more time for the things that are really important in life. For what's vital. You won't get caught up in all the activities that are superficial. All the stuff that just burns up your time. If you get serious about this. You know, this past Wednesday, um, I went down and a lot of our kids and uh, some of our youth and some of our leaders, they were riding on a float in the Halloween parade. And I was talking to some of the kids, and they were really excited about the parade. But you know what shocked me? They began to talk to me about, they were excited about church, and they were excited about God. And they go, you know, we get to represent God today in this. And I just thought, yay, God. Way to go, God. And then I started thinking about the parents, the parents that have made a commitment to be in church every week because they got their priorities right. You know, they got their kids in the zone. And I keep watching the zones. They just keep growing and expanding. Do you parents that have made that commitment, 
I want to say, way to go. You know, I'm commending you today for that. But here, here's what bothers me. I watch the numbers in the zone. Even though they're climbing, they, they kind of are sporadic. They fluctuate a lot. Which means that there's another group of parents that are struggling with their priorities. They, they're not sure. They, the fact is that uh, there are a lot of other things taking priority. And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't get it. I just don't get it because eternity is in the balance here. You give a child a strong relationship with God with Jesus Christ, it is the greatest gift you can give anyone. Now, how many parents, how many grandparents want your kids to reach their full God-given potential? Come on. I mean, that's a, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? That's what makes us parents. And he, I, I really just, with everything in me, want to say you got to make that connection for your child the most important connection. Because, first of all, we can say God's important, but if you're not making it a priority, the kids read between the lines. Kids see duplicity. They do. And when we make that commitment, we say, you know what, I'm going to fully engage. I'm going to make sure, going to make it a priority to, to be at church. You're helping them establish a healthy lifestyle. I believe you give them a solid foundation for navigating the storms in life. I believe you raise the self-esteem of your children. Because when they realize how much they matter to God, how much God loves them, it is life-altering, I believe, when you realize that you're created on purpose, for a purpose, and as we develop that relationship with God, it impacts eternity. It does. See, I believe when we get to heaven, I don't think there are going to be a lot of parents and grandparents sitting around going, man, I'm so glad I got my kid in t-ball and soccer and all this stuff. No, I believe we're going to sit in heaven and we're going to say, wow, I am so glad that God was number one priority. That I made being in church a priority. That I got my kids in the zone... And I don't want to be misunderstood. Do not misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with the extracurricular stuff. You know, I look forward every week playing basketball. But friends, when it crowds God out, you got to watch out. It ought to register. It ought to scream. You know, just about every week after the service, I'll have someone come up to me. And they'll say something about like this. They'll go, you know, I almost missed today. I had this going on. Somebody gave me tickets. I had company. I stayed out way too late last night. hear that one often. And friends, usually at that point, I could fill in the blank because they're going to say something to the extent of, but I am so glad I made it here today. I'm glad I made the commitment to be here. I needed that. That was life-altering. It may have been a song, may have been a drama, may have been a message, whatever. See, something supernatural happens when you open God's Word. See, you've got to, got to simplify. 
Richard Foster in his book, Freedom of Simplicity, which is an excellent read, by the way, he says, simplicity is freedom. Duplicity is bondage. Simplicity brings joy and balance. Duplicity brings anxiety, fear in our lives. God wants us to simplify. God wants us to have that freedom. And too many people are in bondage. I mean, they don't even realize it. They're in bondage to the way they look or their zip code or their car or their stuff or whatever. See, we need some serious liposuction. And last thing, need to watch for the eclipse. See, eclipse happen all the time. I believe the evil one's a master in this area because here, here's what happens. He puts something good in front of you. And because we really want that good thing, what happens is it eclipses the best things in life. We get involved in the, this Martha mania type lifestyle and we end up missing Jesus. I mean, what's, what's Martha doing? She's entertaining, she's cooking, she's decorating, setting the table. She's doing all this stuff. But get this, she forgets to set a place for Jesus. Oh, no, he, she put a plate out for him and food. That's not what I'm talking about. See, she forgot to set a place in her life for Jesus. I go through that a temptation in, in my work because it's ministry is that I get so busy doing ministry that I end up missing God. And it can happen if you don't make it a priority. You know, that temptation exists for all of us. That's why simplicity is so profound. You know, Luke 10, 4, 42 says, Only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the better, and it will not be taken away from her. What's the one thing? What is it? Well, I think it's... Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. All these things. You see, some of us can't seek the kingdom of God first because we're seeking all kinds of other stuff first. We, we play games. I mean, we just do. We play games with the scripture like this, you know, and what we do is we reverse the verse. You know, we flip it around and we say, okay, God, Add all these things to my life, and then I'll seek you. And oh boy, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous one. Seek God first. When you seek God first, when you're not distracted, when you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, when, when you do that, your life begins to sync up. I mean, it just does. And get this, most of the activities we're involved in are good. See, I, believe, I don't believe that most of us, that we're choosing between bad and good. I think we look and we go, that's bad. That's not our problem. Our problem, the real issue is choosing between good and best. See, I think sometimes we settle for the good instead of the best. It gets eclipsed. In order for it not to get eclipsed, you've got to learn to say no. You've got to learn to get a handle on what's really important. Do you want good, better, or best in your life? Tim Kimmel, in his book, uh, Little House on the Freeway. Don't you love that? 
he addresses an issue of time management in his book, and he says, in light of eternity, what he's done, he sits at his desk every day, and he's got pictures on his desk. And he says it helps him stay focused. He says the first picture is a picture of him when he was first born. He's just a few days old. It's a picture of him. He said the second picture is a picture of him and his wife. The third picture is one of their kids. The fourth picture is one of their kids. The fifth picture is another kid. And the last picture, he said, he's got a picture of the gravesite where he will be buried when he dies. Friends, what we do on this side affects eternity. It affects our lives. It affects what, what's important. You know, he says it reminds him of his priorities when he looks at that. He reminds him how short life is. It reminds him that people matter to God more than anything. It reminds him how to invest his time. It reminds him uh, of that what we do in this life, that some things are eternal. What we do affects eternity. I challenge you to do the work to move from this mock speed, Martha mania craziness that we're, we all get hung up in because it's a choice. It truly is a choice. You can choose to unplug every single day and dial in to God. That's a choice you can make. We can choose to do some serious liposuction in our lives and just say, you know what, God? Trim the fat, get it out, and just let me find a pace that's right. And we can choose. Good or best. Now here's the great news. If you make the choice for the best in life, it can't be taken away from you. Not in this life and not the next. But you get to choose. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, we praise you. And God, we, we just lift our lives to you. And God, I know there are some serious trims that need to come. God, I pray that you would give us the strength to... Just do whatever it is that you'd have us do. God, I'm so thankful for your Holy Spirit that promises to guide us, to love us, to encourage us, to convict us. God, I pray that you would help us to make a choice to become the people you created us to be and have called us to be. We give you the glory. We give you the praise to stand every day. Amen.